Today we're reading the portion of the Christmas story where Mary visits her cousin Elizabeth. And this is actually the story of the first time that someone ever calls Jesus Lord. And it's in a different way than you would expect. And so we're going to read this. It's from Luke 1, 39 through 45. It says, In those days Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So last week, we learned about Joseph and his hometown of Bethlehem. And we talked about his journey to visit Mary and learn about her pregnancy. And then we talked about his long walk back home, where he must have had a million thoughts running through his head, until an angel visited him and confirmed Mary's story, that she was indeed pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and her child would be the long-awaited Messiah. Today, we're going to back up a little bit, and we're going to return to Mary's story. Our scripture today is about Mary's journey to visit Elizabeth. And we talked a little bit last week about where her cousin Elizabeth lived. So if you remember, her home was like, most likely in a town called Ein Karim, which was near Bethlehem, where Joseph lived. But it was 80 miles away from Nazareth, where Mary lived. So this means that this journey that Mary had to take to visit Elizabeth would have taken perhaps nine whole days. Can you imagine that? Nine days um, where Mary had to travel to visit Elizabeth. And if you keep that in your mind for next week, when Mary and Joseph had to take a similar journey to Bethlehem, that would take about the same length. For Mary to travel 80 miles by foot through three mountain ranges, okay, lasting nine days, and she was all alone, speaks volumes about how she was feeling in the moment. You can imagine Mary, ever since the angel visited her, experiencing fear, hesitation, some anxiety, because all we read about Mary's emotions in the story earlier was that she was very perplexed by the angel's words to her, and she was told by the angel to not be afraid. So Mary was perplexed and she was afraid. We read Mary tell the angel, I am the Lord's servant. Please use me to do his will. But we have not read up until now Mary feeling excited or Mary rejoicing. Surely Mary was still terrified. So much so that she was willing to take this long nine-day journey to visit a parent figure in her life for some comfort and advice. When Mary entered the home of Elizabeth, scripture tells us that Elizabeth called her blessed three different times. And she called her blessed three times in only a short time frame of four verses. 
So Elizabeth was really trying to get the point across that Mary was blessed. She was really blessed. But remember when we discussed Mary that first week, we talked about how Mary might not have been feeling very blessed because of the difficult predicament that she found herself in. And so we can call this state that Mary found herself in the paradox of blessedness. The paradox of blessedness. Adam Hamilton says in his book, sometimes we think God's blessing involves gaining money, power, and prestige. Blessedness is often associated with a life of comfort and ease. When we describe our blessings, they often include our homes, our jobs, our health, or our wealth. But Mary's blessedness wasn't material. It was not born of security or physical well-being. Mary's blessedness came from being a part of God's plan to be used by God for God's kingdom. Not many of us would say something like, I lost my house in a fire, I'm blessed. Or, I was in a car accident, I'm blessed. Or, I'm going through a really hard time right now, I'm blessed. Not many of us say those things. But God's definition of blessed is a paradox. Think about the people that Jesus called blessed. He said in Luke, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who are hungry. Blessed are those who weep. Jesus was saying, you are blessed and you can't see it yet. God is going to use your apparent misfortune for something good. Jesus was saying, you are blessed because God will be with you. So Adam Hamilton says that when you pray for God to bless you, you better be careful about what you pray for. <laughs> because blessings may come with challenges and adversity, but God's blessings are not always about ease and comfort, but rather about the joy of being a part of God's work and being accompanied by God's presence. Elizabeth, she could see this. When Mary walked through those doors into Elizabeth's home, Mary might have looked disheveled. Her hair was probably a mess. She may have had morning sickness, right? She was in her first trimester. She probably looked exhausted and dehydrated from that long journey. But Elizabeth could see through all of that. She could see that Mary was blessed. And you know, today we're talking about joy, right? We lit the pink candle of joy. Sometimes it can be hard to have joy when we are facing adversity, when we are walking a difficult journey like Mary. But our scripture today tells us a lot about what true joy is, because immediately after these verses in Luke, Mary is finally able to rejoice for the first time. Elizabeth reminds her that she is still blessed, and Mary's fear gives way into joy. Joy comes from knowing we are blessed even in the middle of a difficult journey, knowing that God is with us and that we are a part of his work. That's what joy comes from. So we're going to watch another video from Adam Hamilton where he actually, this time, visits Elizabeth's home, right? what people, many people think was Elizabeth's home, and we're going to hear what he has to say about the significance of Elizabeth. So Mary traveled nearly 10 days by foot to find Elizabeth carrying with her a secret no one as yet knew, that she was pregnant out of wedlock. Clearly, she felt a great urgency to make this journey. 
Mary's coming here, hoping for answers or a sympathetic listener. Mary ascended the hill at Ein Kerem, and tradition says she met Elizabeth at Elizabeth's home. This place is marked by a church called the Church of the Visitation. Previous churches, and beneath all of these, a grotto said to be the home of Elizabeth and Zechariah. Mary is greeted by Elizabeth with words that every Catholic knows by heart. Hail Mary, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Elizabeth encourages Mary, and in turn, Mary encourages Elizabeth. Mary would stay with Elizabeth for the next three months, caring for Elizabeth during Elizabeth's final trimester, while Elizabeth cared for Mary during her first trimester. Mary was profoundly blessed by Elizabeth. There are two really big ideas in the story of Mary's visitation to Elizabeth. The first is the fact that we all need encouragement sometimes. We all need somebody, someone older than we are, who can assure us that things are going to be okay. And that's really part of what Mary came for, was to find the elderly Elizabeth. And for Elizabeth to say to Mary, Mary, it's going to be okay. God is doing something great. Trust in God. And, and to celebrate with her. Finally, Mary rejoices after she spent time with Elizabeth because Elizabeth was able to mentor her, to reassure her, to encourage her. Every one of us needs an Elizabeth, and every one of us is called to be an Elizabeth to someone else. So part of what I'd ask you is, is there someone younger that you're encouraging and mentoring, that you're affirming and, and just cheering on? Because that's part of God's call in our lives is to do that for those who are younger than we are. But also part of the call is for us to find people who are wiser than we are, older than we are, who've, who, who've been there before us, and who can teach us and mentor us and guide us in the path. And that's the, that's the main message I take away from uh, Mary's longing to visit Elizabeth. I can imagine after 10 days of confusion and fear and keeping her pregnancy a secret, Elizabeth's words to Mary were like a cruel drink for her part soul. Mary finds encouragement and affirmation from her older cousin, and, and then joy breaks out. Mary immediately breaks into song, a psalm loosely based upon a psalm found on the lips of Hannah, the mother of the great prophet Samuel, over a thousand years earlier. This song is called the Magnificat, from the Latin for the first phrase of her song, my soul magnifies the Lord. So let's return to the courtyard of the Church of Mary's Visitation to reflect upon the meaning of this song. I'm standing here in the courtyard of the Church of Mary's Visitation. Behind me on the wall is the song that Mary sang as she heard Elizabeth exclaim that there was good news that this child was coming. Would you read these words with me? My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior because he has regarded the lowliness of his handmaid. For behold, henceforth all generations shall call me blessed, because he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And for generation upon generation is his mercy to those who fear him. He has shown might with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the conceit of their heart. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and has exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has given help to Israel, his servant, mindful of his mercy, even as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his posterity forever. So Adam Hamilton reminds us of why Mary went to visit Elizabeth in the first place. Because Mary needed someone who could give her comfort, advice, encouragement, Mary may have had parents, but Elizabeth surely seemed like a parent figure to her, a mother figure, someone who was a mentor to her. And Adam Hamilton poses that question of, 
well, who is your Elizabeth? And have you been an Elizabeth to someone else? We all have people in our lives who have mentored us over the years, who have given us life-changing advice or life-changing guidance. Maybe it's a parent or a family member. Maybe it's someone in these pews right now among you. We are better because of them. Elizabeth was able to say just a few words to Mary, including the advice to see herself as blessed, even in adversity. And it changed Mary's entire mindset. I can only imagine the impact Elizabeth made on Mary throughout the entire three months that she was there, right? Because this is only a, a snippet of Mary and Elizabeth together. So you may have someone in your life like Elizabeth who is able to say just a few words and it changes everything. So I encourage you today to think about that person and maybe give them a thank you, whether it's today at church or sending them a text or sending them a letter in the mail, but give them a thank you. But maybe more difficult is reflecting on if you have been an Elizabeth to someone else. You know, a special calling I think that God gives us, which I think we can often overlook, is being a mentor to people who are younger than us. I was told about how teenagers in a confirmation class of ours years um, earlier were given a mentor throughout that process of confirmation. So in some older folks in the church who were able to um, meet with them and pray with them, love on them, give them advice, teach them. And you know, not only do I think that gave joy to the youth, the teenagers who received that mentorship, but I believe that it probably gave a lot of joy to the mentors as well. Um, I think about Miss Jean Corlett, right, who's in the hospital right now, and she mentors the youth in our church through Sunday school. I mean, I was teaching Sunday school this morning and the youth didn't even show up. So that shows to you how much they want to come be with Miss Jean, all right? And Miss Jean gets pure joy out of mentoring and teaching those youth. So much so that that's almost all she could talk about when I went and visited her in the hospital. She gets pure joy. And so a second lesson for us today is that joy comes from mentoring and loving people that God has placed on our path. That's what Jean Corlett does. That's what so many of you and people before us have done for others in our church. And that's what Elizabeth did for Mary. And the third lesson about joy comes from Mary's Magnificat that Adam Hamilton just, heard, just read for us. After hearing Elizabeth tell her that she was indeed blessed, Mary takes that in and her fear melts away and she starts to rejoice so she praises God because God has chosen her in her lowly state. She praises God because he has scattered the proud. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones. And he has lifted up the lowly and he has filled the hungry. This theme in Mary's song is one that we have already seen in both Mary's story and in Joseph's story. And it's also a theme that we later see Jesus teach over and over again in the Gospels. Adam Hamilton says, in Mary's Magnificat, we find a picture of a God who has a heart for the underdog and is concerned about people who have been made to feel like nobodies. Those are the ones he lifts up. That is the character of the God proclaimed in the scriptures, and that is the character of his son. 
The fact that God does these things, God brings down the powerful, God lifts up the lowly, God fills the poor and, and fills the poor and the hungry, that is essential to the Christmas story. Just look at the people that God chose to be a part of the story of God's plan. God chose a poor, young, unmarried girl. God chose a hardworking carpenter. God chose mere shepherds working on the fringes of society. And then look at where God himself was born. Not in a palace, not in one of those 400-foot uh, castles like King Herod had, but in a manger that animals literally eat out of. So we must ask ourselves, are we participating in this ministry of lifting up the lowly and filling the hungry? Because God wants to use people, God wants to use us to send the hungry away full. To send the hungry away full. Adam Hamilton tells a story, a really good story in his book. He says, a couple years ago, he said, a man came to me after our Christmas Eve service. And he said, I'm an atheist. I came tonight because my friends invited me. I was moved by the service. The music, the message, and the candle lighting were all very inspiring. But what I found most amazing was that you gave away your entire offering to children in poverty. I'll be back. This is what Christmas is all about. Not the presents, not the trees or the lights. Those are all wonderful. I love those things. But Christmas is really about giving to others so that the hungry are filled and the poor are cared for and the lowly are lifted up. So if you're looking for Christmas joy, know this, that joy comes from sending the hungry away full. So notice that in all these examples, that joy comes from knowing we are blessed, even, the middle, even in the middle of a difficult journey. Joy comes from mentoring and loving people that God places on our path. And joy comes from uh, sending the hungry away full. Notice that joy in all these examples doesn't come from material possessions or wealth, and it isn't even dependent on our circumstances. You know, me and Dylan have gone through a difficult time the last couple of weeks. I was in a car accident a couple of weeks ago and um, totaled my car, and I had to go to the ER, and um, my back got hurt, and I dealt with all of that. And, you know, I wasn't really prepared for what a car accident does to you, um, not only physically, but it also affects you emotionally and mentally. Um, it can make you anxious to get in the car again, and it can give you feelings of depression. And I wasn't really prepared for that. And so the week after I, I was in a wreck, I experienced all those feelings. It was really difficult for me. And then on top of that, you have all of the challenges of contacting insurance, um, getting all your medical bills, having to get a new car, and so Dylan was really stressed out too, and the last couple weeks has been difficult, but we really felt God teaching us what being blessed and what having joy is all about, because we learned that joy is not dependent on your physical health. It's not dependent on material things like if you have a car or not. And joy can even be found in really difficult times. 
And me and Dylan experienced that. And we've talked to God about that and prayed about it together. Um, and God has given us joy. And we woke up a couple days ago and we thought, I feel joy today. We hadn't always felt that, but God gave that to us. And I think that's a lesson for all of us that joy is not dependent on our circumstances. It's not dependent on what we have. Joy can be found even in the darkest of nights and the hardest of times. And that's what God wants to give to you and me today. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your abundant joy. That is only a gift from you. It's a gift that you have given us. And all we have to do is just reach out and accept it. Just take hold of that joy. And that joy can sustain us. Can sustain us through the busyness of the holidays. Can sustain us through difficult times. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. Lord, you give us strength found in that joy. It's a strength like no other. We can't get it on our own. We can only get it from you and from the joy that you give us. So, Lord, would you give us joy? Would you give us the courage to take hold of that joy, to step out of the darkness, to latch onto it, to have joy this holiday season? We thank you, Lord, in advance for the joy that you will give us. Amen.